Welcome to Talking TRM, the Travel Risk Management Podcast. I'm Bex Debman and I'm an independent consultant specialising in ISO 31030. During my transition from corporate travel to travel risk, I've met some incredible individuals driving travel risk management forward with passion and expertise. On this podcast, I'm going to chat with them about their stories and hopefully inspire our listeners to start their own travel risk management journey. Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking TRM, the podcast dedicated to travel risk management. My name is Travel Respects and today I am joined by, well, hmm, how do I even begin to introduce this man? So when I first decided I was going to do this podcast series, he was the second invite I sent out and that's no disrespect, Frank. The first was Russell Price so no, and he still hasn't done one either so we're, we're, we're knocking on his door too. Um, so I've been waiting for a long time to have this conversation. Frank was one of the first people that I met with in this space. He was one of the first people to join the BSI group and has been a massive supporter of not just 31030 but travel risk management way before it was cool to talk about travel risk management. I'm still not sure how cool it is to talk about travel risk management, but in, the, in five years' time when people are listening to this again, they'll realise how cool it is to be talking about this stuff. So um, without further ado, Frank, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here. How are you? Great, Bex. Thanks for the invite. And since that invite, if you've been following the words, where's Frank at? I've been to Sydney, Australia. We took a contingent of employees over Sydney World Pride. And over the last couple of months, I've been all over the Americas doing literally a master class on the ISO 31030 to customers and clients. So it's been a very busy couple of months. I have been watching Where's Frank at? Absolutely. And I've been seeing all your updates. And it, for me, it's just a pleasure to see that, you know, the standard is out there. It's giving people some sort of something to really kind of hang their hat on around this space, whereas before um, perhaps it wasn't something that was being looked at so much, although I'm not sure it's happening as fast as all of us would like it to be happening, you know, for those of us working in the industry. So let's get into it, Frank. Let, let's just introduce you firstly, as we do within within the podcast. So, so who are you uh, and what is it that you do? So I'm Frank Harrison. I'm the Regional Security Director for the Americas with World Travel Protection. I'm based in Toronto, Canada. I've been with the business since February 2021, so came on during the pandemic. And I'm part of a team. We have a general manager based in Brisbane at our command center there. We have a command center in the UK in Uxbridge, where I have a counterpart. And we form a really lean, agile travel risk management uh, subject matter expert team that supports our case managers, our customers, and our clients as they're out there literally re-entering the world and and we're out there to support the rusty travelers that are discovering the world has changed at their destinations and the folks that really didn't travel much before the pandemic and who are a little bit resistant to get out there now with the way the world has literally changed and we can talk about that a little further in. Thank you, Frank. That's a really great introduction to everything you're doing. So let's just, I mean, you, you touched on the fact of how much travel you've been doing. So has it um so you joined i appreciate you joined within the middle of the pandemic but what sort of changes have you seen since people have sort of gone back to travel now so what have i seen so one of the unique things is even at the height of the pandemic when travel was highly restricted there were the bans on flying travel still occurred and 
one of the really unique things about the pandemic was we saw how travel approvals were escalated up into the C-suite. So the people that were traveling on behalf of their business and conducting work for their organizations, they were out there at the height of it. But we had this incredible oversight on travel. And you know, when you look at it from a business continuity and resilience standpoint, we kind of reached the, the Pangea, the utopia of what travel approval should have been. And then last year, as we all saw, there is this, uh, it's been coined as revenge travel, where once the restrictions were off, you know, the leisure travel space literally exploded. And it, I think the numbers right now are about 110% over pre-COVID travel. But business travel still sets around that 80%, low 80, high 70s. But businesses came to the realization that, yeah, we can do this digital interface. We can do all these conference calls. But when it comes time to sign contracts, get out and check your supply chains, check your operating facilities, you need to have a human being going out doing that human interface that can give you that honest assessment of what's going on or what's the impact of the business. So business travelers are out there. So if we look at this during the pandemic where travel approval was escalated up into the C-suite with this revenge travel and the return of travel, a lot of organizations have referred it back to quite literally pre-pandemic travel processes. And in some cases, they've actually regressed further back. So we are having this conversation about what the ISO 31,030 travel risk management is. And you know, collectively, those of us who are champions of the ISO are out trying to reinforce organizations that the lessons that were lost over the last year, the ISO 31,030 is an opportunity for organizations to do a self-audit and identify where their strengths are, the opportunities, and where they can actually make it better for the travelers. Because, you know, I, I'm a traveler and I demand, I, I expect more from my employer and I do. And I'm a travel risk management uh, subject matter expert working for, you know, one of the top tier travel, travel risk management companies. And I expect a lot from my business. So I can just imagine what somebody who's going out on behalf of their business expects from their employer and the ISO 31,030 is an opportunity to actually see if their travel risk management programs or travel approval processes are fit for purpose and support their, their employees. Because let's be realistic, a lot of organizations use this term, the duty of care, as a stick to intimidate potential clients and clients to get business. Our approach is very simple. Organizations need to own their risk. They need to manage the risk because if we talk about what it is foreseeability of risk is knowing that there's an issue that's going to impact travel and their employees and putting the right management controls in place to support those travelers to get out there and do their work sorry i've talked a lot there uh, jump in there bex not at all it's it's it's, it's exactly what it's supposed to be about frank and i and i love listening to you because i'm just sitting there nodding so anyone kind of watching on youtube just sees me just like a nodding dog but i'm just um i I agree, obviously, fully with you, you know, as another supporter of 31030, but it just feels like because some of the horror stories I'm hearing and the regression that you talk of is that because suddenly it feels like costs have gone out of control again, carbon's gone out of control again, because obviously everyone's traveling at such a... Um, such a high volume compared to what they were doing obviously in 20 and 21 and actually sort of you know some of 22 that you know people are, are making 
cuts in the wrong places again you know people aren't allowed to travel at certain classes there's not allowed to travel there's there's, a, there's reductions on the spend on the sort of caps in hotels and actually all that does is drive people to make unsafe choices yep. where we need to be looking at is what is the program itself and what sensible reductions can you make with that program bearing in mind We've just lived through a pandemic, you know, two years of no travel, and you all survive pretty well. So, what bits do we need to travel for, and what bits don't we need to travel for, and how can we redefine that in a new world? Bearing in mind, we're supposed to be saving the planet, and we've got lots of other things that we need to consider as well. You know, how as an industry can we be championing the fact that we're eighty percent to where we were at twenty nineteen from business travel, and as you rightly say, you know, over way over what you were doing in 2019 for leisure um yes part of it's pent up but when are we going to start making these decisions and and for me 3130 just does this um it allows us it, it's and and like you we you know i understand that it's about giving the program back to the corporate they've off, they've given it away for such a long time that often companies don't even know why they're traveling or where they're doing it they're just they're just doing it because it's what they've done for such a long time um, so no, I'm with you and I can talk about it a lot too. So let's bring it back to you. So I'm really, Frank, you are one of the most, um, every time I speak to you about any of this stuff where we're, you've always seen it sort of from a holistic approach. Um, you sort of see this as a, a living, breathing program. It's not mm -hmm. a means to an end or a line on a spreadsheet, which is where travel sits with many, many companies. I just really want to kind of dig into where this comes from. What's your driver and what, what's your passion? What, what's your why in this space? So the why, the why of it, you know, I'm a traveler. I, I love travel. And the ISO 31,030 is a really unique document because there's a lot of resistance to using it because it's not a certifiable ISO. It, it's a standard. And, when organizations look at it from that standpoint, and the approach I take to try to reinforce it is because it's a standard, you don't need to go out to an independent outside auditor to, that you have to pay a large sum of money to to come in and do it. As an organization, you take the opportunity, you get to understand your risk, you get to catalog it. And as you said, it's not a one and done. It's a living document. And what I try to reinforce to potential clients and our customers is, most organizations already have a really solid enterprise risk management or a health safety environment based program. Travel risk management is kind of an outlier. It's kind of the orphan in most organizations and nobody has a real ownership of it. So if you take 10 different businesses and ask them how they manage travel, everybody's going to tell you something a little different. So what I like about the ISO is that opportunity to actually put some rigor around it, some common sense, plain language and to build a process that everybody that uses it is not going to have the exact same system, but they're going to have something that's similar. And where the value comes into it is we talk about sustainability. We're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's an opportunity to look at what you're doing in your travel programs to make sure they're actually effective when it comes to travel approvals. But, you know, DEI, is it an inclusive travel program from a sustainability standpoint? Are you actually doing the right things? And one of the really neat advantages that organizations have, and they haven't really tapped into it yet, if you're using a mature travel management company, most of those organizations are tied in with, you know, a, a major credit brand. 
and if you look at the sustainability initiatives that are being driven into the travel space, into the travel management companies, organizations have an opportunity to leverage that through their travel approval processes so that, you know, the examples I like to use are your hotels. When you're sending people out to a destination, are they staying at a modern Leeds certified hotel? Are you putting people on an aircraft that is more than, you know, 30 years old? Um, are you on a new aircraft that is designed around sustainability, like one of the new Airbus Neos, or are you getting into some of the new Boeing aircraft that sustainability is designed into the operating systems? And from a diversity standpoint, there's if we look at the world and the shift and the emergence of some right-wing elements globally and how the gains that have been made over the last 20, 30 years for the LGBTQ communities and the impacts that are starting to occur now with uh, the rolling back of rights, the rolling back of freedoms and the, the, the negative pushes. Are we actually looking at organizations and supporting them to prepare their people, especially those who identify through their LGBTQ communities or through their gender, are we actually doing the right thing and preparing them for travel or are we setting them up for failure and potentially putting them at risk from a personal safety standpoint or worse, potentially being arbitrarily detained and criminally charged because of their lifestyles? And, you know, I've said a lot, but basically it comes down to organizations have a really unique opportunity to take all of these things that everybody perceives as being up in the air that they can't control and it's one of the few documents that I've worked with where you can actually take all of these pieces that are out there that are deemed to be these out of control risk and put them into a language and a system that makes sense, that supports people. Because you ask me what my passion is, my passion is people. And I try to reinforce organizations that if you have a travel approval system in your business and you have finance involved in it, you have HR involved in it, you have health and safety potentially the receptionist at the front desk. All of those processes are done usually in silos and they don't necessarily correspond. And organizations sometimes forget that at the end of that travel approval system is a human being that's out there traveling on their behalf, conducting business for them. And when they experience their worst day, because you go anywhere in the world and you're away from home and something goes wrong, that's your worst day. Organizations may not necessarily have the right tools in place to support that traveler and can make them safe, help them be safe, or get them to shelter when something happens around them where they actually cannot leave the environment that they're within. So my passion, the travelers. I'm grinning from ear to ear because there's this common thread between so many of us in this space and it's people, right? It's travel is the conduit as to what they're doing, but it's, it's people and it's looking after them. And, and I've, I've talked about it historically, you know, so many travel programs and let's be honest, travel and expense policies, because that's where it generally sits are kind of based on this idea and these assumptions that, you know, you know why you travel, you know what you're doing, you know what the company wants you to do, this is how you're going to spend the money. And when it becomes a cost of control, which it does in so many organisations, 
those lines on a sheet stop becoming people and they become numbers and all we want to do is push those numbers down the travel management companies have felt it for years by you know you can't control the travel but you can control the fees um, and so we kind of get into this sort of race to the bottom and we just forget about the traveler we forget about that person and I've had some you know some great guests that have been so honest about this because so many of you travel as well um, are vulnerable travellers. That could be female travels, travellers that could be our LGBTQI community, that could just be someone who's never travelled before or has yeah. never gone and done that activity before. Someone who is suffering from a physical or a mental health condition. Mm -hmm. We have to get to know these people and not just sort of do this 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 brush stroke that we do that we wrote this policy that was sort of suited for, suitable for the executives in the company and we didn't really think about anybody else um for me it kind of brings dei it brings mental health it brings all of this stuff to life because it's when it matters when you're traveling you know it's um sure it matters in your downtime it matters in your office and that kind of stuff to a degree but when you're traveling is when it kicks and i think you just put it so nicely the worst day of your life is going to happen when you're traveling. And let's let's just explore it a bit. You know, we talk a lot about, I think, you know, companies that lead in this space often are going to high risk countries, right? It's always destination based uh, or has been historically. And, and they've got loads of good stuff in that space. But that is what we call high impact, low probability, right? So it's it's becoming more frequent, sadly, but it's not happening on a daily basis. What is happening on a daily basis, travel delays, sickness, those things that kind of can happen to a traveller. Um, have you got any kind of experiences that you can share with us that have just been sort of bad travel days, but, you know, not necessarily having that kind of high impact that, that would have if you were kind of caught in a, in a high, big situation, bearing in mind all the trips you've just done? Well, if I reflect on my own travel over the past two months, you know, Arriving at the airport in San Francisco and discovering that my flight's canceled. And, you know, and having the airline just basically say, well, we can get you home tomorrow. And then going to the airline next door and having a code share with them and having them facilitate my return. Like, you know, there's a lot of issues that are occurring out there, whether it's scheduled delays, uh, cancellations, lost luggage. And... To go back to my comment about the human being, the person at that counter is another human being who's trying their utmost best in a very trying situation. And when we are individually impacted, we usually take it out on them. And the one thing I've been trying to do is using a measure of humility when I'm dealing with airline staff. And in most cases, by not blaming them for my worldly woes of being stuck in Chicago or New York, uh, New Jersey or San Francisco, they will usually go above and beyond to help you. Lost luggage, that's, you know, that's another thing that someone at a front counter ain't going to help you with, especially if you got an AirTag or an RFID chip in there and you can see exactly where it is. They're, they're restrained on what they can do. So yeah. from that standpoint, you know, the world has changed. Um, if we look at, the road warriors and the folks that were traveling pre-pandemic, um, you know, we can talk about all of the impacts that have occurred now that we're going into the post-pandemic phase. And I've we've been doing our own research within our business, and we've 
identified that shifts in crime at destinations have changed. Uh, locations are being impacted by mass migration of refugees and displaced uh, populations and weather. Um, we can debate climate change, but the hard reality is the weather patterns of the world are shifting. You know, and I use the analogy where I grew up in northeastern Canada, 11,000 years ago, there was about three kilometers of ice over top of where our community is now. That's all gone. So to me, the world, the world's changing. But if we look at the weather impacts, you know, you look at the flooding and, you know, we've seen the UK, France, continental Europe, where what they talk about those 100-year events or 500-year events, we're actually starting to see them almost annually now. We look at the fires in Greece over the past couple of years, the fires in Canada um, and other parts of uh, South America that are unusual. They're more intense. They're more prolific. I lived in Portugal for a period of time, and you know they used to have two fire seasons per year. And the time that I lived in Portugal, it was constantly like the locals would jokingly say, oh, it's not normal for this place to be always on fire. And so let's be real, the world has shifted, things are changing. We've got the pandemic, when we look at the impacts on popular tourist areas and places where people go to do business, where there's been mass unemployment, people have lost their jobs. And when you're desperate, you're going to resort to petty crime to feed your family. That's a reality. We, you look at the mass migrations that have come out of Northern Africa and out of the Middle East and other parts of the world like Ukraine, last year with 4 million people being displaced, that has a very significant impact on local populations and those people that need to go there to do business or those people that are going there on a vacation. It, it's a changed dynamic. So the world has changed and we need to take ownership of that and make sure that as people are going out on behalf of organizations, that they're aware that they're going to somewhere where they may have known that location pre-pandemic but they need to understand that where they're going, it may not look the same anymore to them and they're potentially going to be at risk. Not sure where to start with implementing a standard such as ISO 31030? A gap analysis exercise from Ascent Risk Management is the best place to start. Our expert consultants will take you step by step through your chosen standard and highlight any weak areas. This can be conducted remotely and the results of the gap analysis can form the plan for your targeted project. Contact Ascent today at www.ascent1, which is A-S-S-E-N-T-1.com and booking your gap analysis today. And to perhaps get a deeper understanding of kind of what those risks are on a personal level. Because I think, you know, I've talked on to other guests about this. You know, when I, and I'm sure when you first got into work, there was this kind of bravado requirement. You know, your boss has just told you to do it. You just got on and you did it. And actually, we probably all put ourselves at more risk than perhaps we should have done. I know I certainly did. And it was, it was just kind of the way things were done then. Where we're now is actually, and thankfully, um, you've got employees that are coming into the workforce saying, no, 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 <laughs> hang on one second. What do you mean you haven't got all this stuff in place? It was kind of a given, I was expecting it. And then that actually makes our generation question it too and think, 
actually, hang on a second, I'm doing all this stuff for you. What happens to my family if something happens to me? Where are the kind of assurances that this stuff is going on? Are you seeing that at all in, in, what, you're, in what you're doing and when you're talking to people? Yeah, there's there's more of a demand for that information. So like, I'll, I'll use our system. We have a, a travel assistance portal that we support our customers with. Um, you know, I use the example of 10 years ago, I was flying in and out of Charles de Gaulle on a regular basis going in and out of West Africa. You know, and I would land at de Gaulle and the only way I'd find out there was a strike in the airport was you'd be met partway through the airport with people with whistles screaming and banners and you'd be like, all right, guess I'm not making my flight. And when I travel now, when I land anywhere, I expect any kind of a disruption or impact of my travel to be broadcast to me as soon as I land so that I can actually make informed decisions on my own travel. So let's take it into the wider picture. You know, we're retooling our entire economies. We're changing the products that industries are putting out in the markets and the services that we're going to be using as we change our economies. Those require rare earth minerals and businesses and organizations that are mining those and sourcing those source resources. They're going out into parts of the world now that pre-pandemic, we would never have dreamt of sending a, an employee. And we have to have the rigor around that travel. We need to have that pre-travel awareness and education. Organizations need to be able to locate their travelers when something is going on. Or they just need to know where they're at because you nailed it. Pre-pandemic and going back 10, 15 years ago, you got a plane ticket, you went. If you went missing, they would probably do a crisis management exercise after the fact. But the reality is today we expect more. And the critical enabler is the travelers need to be able to communicate with their organization or with a travel assistance company. And that needs to be a two-way form of communication because you look back at 10 years ago, most of the apps that we traveled with were one-dimensional. They pushed out some information, you got some alerts, you got basic awareness, but you didn't have the ability to actually ask for assistance. You didn't have the ability to communicate with case manager. And today we take it for granted that we have these tools. And in many cases, organizations don't actually get their employees to download those apps. They don't get them to use the tools so as you nailed it, you know, you know, I've worked for organizations 15 years ago that they didn't allow women to travel on behalf of their organizations. Now, you can't restrict who travels on behalf of your business. They need to be the right person with the right qualifications and the right fit for what the job is. And we need to make sure they've got the right tools to get out there so that they know the environment they're in. They know what's going on around them. And when something does go wrong and they do have that worst day, they can ask, for assistance or they can get the right information to make their own informed choices because to go back to the human element of my, why I have a passion, what gets forgotten is that traveler is actually the first line of response when a crisis or an emergency event occurs. And the only way that that person can go from being the victim of an event to a participant in their own recovery is by having the right tools to do the job and start the process. And that, that's a critical enabler that will differentiate between a crisis management response to an impacted traveler who needs assistance to a traveler who asks for assistance and is driving what they need to get out of a situation. 
so beautifully put as always it's just giving them those exactly that skills the toolkit the training whatever it takes to make sure that that unique individual that unique human who is going out to do that job has everything they need around them when they need it not engulfing them in all this information and stuff beforehand which they're never going to have a chance to read because they're really busy it's about making it accessible and 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 allowing them to do the job safely because nobody's against travel yes we are all about kind of reduction to a degree because the world feels like it's gone a bit mad again but nobody's against traveling for the right reasons but we are wanting to keep people safe and i just continue to kind of hear practices which just makes me feel that that's you know that's just not the situation at all so let's see um i told you it would go fast but already at nearly half an hour frank so let's Put some of this into action and let's think about those people that perhaps are maybe new to this space or have got an interest in travel risk management and not quite sure where to start with your vast experience what are your golden nuggets frank so my golden nuggets and that it reflects on the organization that i belong to at world travel protection is my first golden nugget is when we talk about travel risk management travel approvals there's three elements to it, the traveler, the destination, and the activity being performed. So when we talk about the traveler, it's the organization needs to know who their travelers are. You know, and I've had organizations that'll say, well, due to confidentiality, we can't ask certain questions, we can't do this. It's not about having disclosures, it's actually knowing who your traveler is. So if we look at business opportunities where people go on expat assignments, it's about 60% of those are failure, failures because somebody was deployed with pre-existing condition or they weren't suitable for deployment. So organizations need to know who their travelers are and if that person is the right person to travel. But the individual travelers also need to take a little bit of ownership because if in this day and age, if somebody doesn't want to travel, they need to declare that to their employer. Or if they are going to travel, it what are they receiving before they go? What is their pre-travel awareness? What's their education? And what tools are being provided to them to empower them to safely travel? We talk about the destinations. We go back to, you know, this year, the three emerging things are crime, migration, weather. And, you know, we've got the standard plethora of health and safety, security risk, and, you know, natural disasters and a whole list beyond that. But it's how are we addressing those destinations? How are we risk assessing them? And then how are we monitoring those destinations so that when something does change or shift, we can respond to it? And potentially, if we've got a traveler that's in mid-trip, how do we stop them, turn them, redirect them, or get them to shelter in place? And when we look at the activities, you know, we have to be very sensitive now in this modern world where we are fully accepting in most cultures of diversity, equity, and inclusion. But we need to understand the destinations where people are going. And if it's a potential unsafe environment based on a person's lifestyle or their gender identity, how to prepare that traveler before they go so that they can operate in that space or they can make a decision that they don't want to go to that environment. So, you know, you look at um, gender where in Canada, where you can elect to have your passport with an X on it, not showing a gender, or if somebody changes her gender but doesn't get their passport changed, there are parts of the world where potentially they can be arrested, detained, or denied access to that country or harassed by the government officials upon entering. So it's making sure people understand where they're going, the risk they are facing, 
and being prepared for it. Because if you look at their 71 now with, I guess, Uganda changing their laws, that being a member of an LGBTQ community involved in a same-sex relationship is illegal. Six of those, it's criminal arrest with the potential for a death sentence if you're caught engaging in a same-sex relationship in those countries. So the traveler, the destination, the activity they're going to be doing. You know, if we look at their, some activities businesses are going to be doing that from a customary practice or custom, local customs, may not be appropriate in a destination, then our business is willing to understand that and make sure they protect their people so that they don't go out there and put themselves in harm's way, just simply doing the business of their organization. Perfect. There's just a couple of things I just want to touch on. And I think just, you know, for our listeners, this is going to come out later in the year, but actually what you were just talking about with the LGBTQI community is so valid. We're in June, we're in Pride Month, uh, which I which I, I like in one hand because I think it's important to raise awareness, but I always look at the messaging coming through and I always have a message at the end of it. And, and the message I've seen coming um, through loud and clear from my LGBTQI friends and allies is stop just talking about it in June, make the world safer for us all the way through the year. And I just can't help bring that back to travel risk management, you know, especially for our younger generations that have been born into a world that is connected, that feels like it's safer than it is, that feels that as a population that we're, that we're, that we communicate differently and we can have friends, you know, anywhere in the world, we have to remember that actually the rights we have in certain countries are not the rights that we have everywhere else. And we're allowing, we're allowing our travelers to just sort of kind of put themselves into these situations. Like I've said before, FEMA being one, but right now the LGBTQI community and particularly the trans community, you know, this is, you touched on it then, just then with the passports, you know, we can't do that in the UK right now. There isn't that option. It doesn't flow through to airlines anyway, at this point, there's very few airlines that have kind of taken up, uh, taken up this point. But I think what worries me so much for more for the trans community as well is the fact that, this hate crime can happen yep. anywhere. This isn't just in countries where, you know, there's, there's, there's issues around LBGQI. You know, we've had instances in the UK where two school children have killed another school child. Like, this is rife. This can be anywhere. Yep. And we really have to protect those parts of our community. But, but, but doing so with everybody else at the same time, and, and rather than getting hung up on bits we seem to be getting hung up on, let's just think about everybody as people and how we can keep everybody safe. And I yeah, I just wanted to kind of bring that up to the forefront because it will be later in the year and we should still be talking about this, not just throwing our rainbow uh, fl- flags around because it's June. Um, I'm a huge advocate of supporting people going to work and traveling and bringing their genuine, authentic self with them and doing it safely. You know, There are parts of the world where we need to have awareness of what the potential risks are like the southern united states right now is an at-risk environment and supporting people but i'm also a huge advocate that if you're going to travel try to travel as a group so then you have the power of numbers and it goes back to if everybody receives the same type of pre-travel briefings and awareness and education everybody becomes eyes for everybody else on on the trip yeah so i think what what What's for sure, Frank, throughout all of this is that the world isn't getting easier. It's getting more complicated. Humans are not getting any easier. We're getting more complicated. But actually, 
the responsibility of an organization has always been there. And now for the first time, they've got the tools to actually help them. Yep. So shall we just do it? <laughs> it's kind of where I'm at. What's well, the excuse for not doing it? You know, the ISO 31,030 is an opportunity for organizations to actually know and own the risk. So that, that addresses the duty of care and all of the tools and the systems that organizations are bringing on board for the travelers. That's exceptional. But, my clincher is when we talk about the human element and those travelers, there's a duty or responsibility by those individual travelers to actually use those tools. Yeah, I agree. If you don't want it just to be about, you know, you've got to do a little bit of finding out for yourself. If your company is going to support you and go to those extra miles, then please do do the research to find out actually what they've done and to try and help them. And if not, you're reliant on doing that yourself anyway, because arguably if they haven't got the tools in place, then you're kind of on your own when you go. And the best way you can be to do that is to is to actually have done some research and understand what you're getting yourself into. And I think if you don't feel safe, don't be scared to say that to your to your company. Um, Frank, it's been an absolute pleasure. I knew it would be. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, we will be back soon with another episode of Talking TRM. Uh, this is the podcast dedicated to travel risk management. You've been listening to Travel Risk Specs and my special guest today, Frank Harrison. It's been a delight, Frank. Thank you. We will see you soon. And in the meantime, everybody, please take care. Take care of yourselves and your people. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Talking TRM is in association with the Scent Risk Management. If you enjoyed listening to today's podcast, please subscribe and make sure to leave a review. If you need any help with implementing an ISO standard, such as ISO 31030, or if you have any questions regarding ISO, please reach out to Ascent Risk Management to talk to our expert consultants today. We can be found at www.ascent1.com. We're also on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. And links can be found in the show description. This podcast is a Clemark Studio production and was produced by Jessica Ingalls.